Okay, turn with me to the book of, second book of Samuel. We are continuing in our series from the life of David. And we're at a, a pivotal point in David's life in that he is now ready to become king. Uh, he has just received news that King Saul and his sons have died. Chapter 1, it gives us the details there. And when David hears the news, he is absolutely gutted. Verse 11 says that he took hold of his clothes and tore them, and also did all the men who were with him. And they mourned and wept and fasted until evening. So this was a, a big crossover moment for the nation. And when Saul heard the news, he was very, very sad. And if you read on in chapter 1, David gives a very powerful, very beautiful eulogy and lament over King Saul and his son Jonathan, who happened to have been his best friend. Uh, just a couple of verses here in which he says, Your beauty, O Israel, is slain on your high places, how the mighty have fallen. And so David esteemed the king and esteemed Jonathan greatly and broke out into this lament as news came that they had fallen. So it was a very um, sad time, but it was also a new chapter in David's life. And so I'm going to read the first four verses here with regard to David. <clears throat> it came about that afterwards, as in after King Saul had passed away, that David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up to one of the cities of Judah? The Lord said to him, Go up. So David said, Where shall I go up? And he said, To Hebron. And Hebron was a very famous city in the history of Israel. Uh, it was the city that Joshua gave to Caleb. It was the city that Abraham buried his wife Sarah. So it was a very well-known, very renowned city. So the Lord directed um, David to go up to Hebron. And David went up there and his two wives also, Ahinoam, the Jezreelite, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite. And David brought up his men who were with him, each with his household, and they settled in the cities of Hebron. Then the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. So God, as we look into your word, we pray, God, that you would just breathe upon us, you would enliven us. Lord, as we commit our time to you, let your Holy Spirit be in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. So David's installation as a king is a distinctly young person's success story. Uh, Forbes magazine likes to put out a list called 30 Under 30, in which they highlight 30 young people that are standouts or extraordinary in their fields of endeavor. And for the 2020 list, they evaluated over 15,000 candidates and they ended up profiling 30 young people in 20 different categories, from finance to healthcare to media, creativity, entertainment. But there was not a single category in the faith sector, which is a pity because from my perspective, the best work in the world is done under the kingdom gospel umbrella. So for this morning, I'm going to profile David as one of those 30 under 30 because the Bible says that David was 30 years old when he became king. So this passage that we just read in which now David is installed in Hebron, he was 30 years old. Now to become king is quite an achievement, especially because David did not come to this position by inheritance or bloodlines. 
The typical way in which kings are succeeded is that their sons or their daughters take the position of king or queen. But David came into this position not by lineage. So it's important for us to pause during this important milestone and ask the popular question. If you could name one key behind your success, what would it be? If you could name one key behind your success, what would it be? I think for those that know David's story, one answer would be, you know what, it was his world-class musicianship, as this is what initially attracted the attention of King Saul. His attendants were looking for someone to play soothing music during King Saul's bouts with evil spirits, and David's playing would comfort the king and drive the spirits away. This took amazing skill, and it paved the way for David to be noticed. Without this, he would have never had an audience with the king. Well, others might say, okay, that's true, but it wasn't just that David knew how to play the harp with skill, but that he was a prophetic minstrel. He wasn't just playing any good music, he was playing music inspired by the Spirit. It was the music of the prophets by which they could prophesy and reveal the mind of God to men. When the Spirit would come, the Spirit of revelation would fall, and God would speak His counsel and His direction. David did not just lay down a good beat or play a nice melody. There was an anointing on what he played. So for those who are arguing this point, you know what? They have a good case. David's music was not just cool jazz or classical or alternative. It was prophetic and it had power from heaven. Others might say, you know what? David's one key was his improbable victory over Goliath. He wasn't even trained in the military, and he defeated this nine-foot giant. What are the chances of that happening? It's like someone pulled from the stands at halftime during an NBA game, and then they're given a million dollars if they can sink a half-court shot. And lo and behold, he did it. That's the kind of odds that David overcame, and as a result of his breakthrough defeat of Goliath, he was seen as a military hero. And he went on to lead Israel to many victories. Surely this was one of the keys to David's rise. Others might say, you know what? He was Samuel, the prophet's favorite guy. I mean, he had an in with the prophet. But the thing is, he wasn't because Samuel, when he went to the house of Jesse, which was David's father, Samuel did not even know that there were eight sons. And so David was left out. But some people might say, well, he got to be king just because he caught the attention of Samuel. In each of these instances, a strong case could be made, and they certainly contributed to David's success. But in the end, it was an issue of the heart that catapulted David to the top. David was a unicorn in his understanding of submission. David was a unicorn in his understanding of submission. One of David's greatest attributes is he understood how God works through authority. And one way you could summarize his years prior to becoming king is that he passed the submission test. We know that David became king at 30, but from the time that prophet Samuel anointed him as a teenager, it took 15 years for that to come to pass. That's a long time. And as we've read and studied in 1 Samuel chapter 1, those 15 years were hellish literally hellish, as Saul tried to kill him innumerable times. You think your boss is bad, try Saul. 
Saul was so bent on eliminating David that David had to go over to the enemy's side to hide himself. He had to embed himself and ingratiate himself to the king of the Philistines in order to be safe. In other words, he had to exile himself, exile himself in order to avoid being killed. That's how bad his situation was. Now, how did David get the grace to endure these 15 years of being sought out, of being a fugitive, of having his life constantly in peril? The answer is that he understood that God works through authority, even bad authority. This was David's unlikely key. Because for young people, authority is akin to a four-letter word. 30-year-olds don't embrace authority. They reject them. They get on this list by tossing out convention and thumbing their nose at the establishment. They have a different trail to blaze. They think outside of the box. We don't need these people to hold us back. But David modeled something completely different. Remember now that David was a millennial and he was a Gen Xer before he became king. And he had every opportunity to imbibe and embrace the fashionable anti-authority attitude of his generation. But he didn't do that. He was the opposite. Proverbs 20.11 says, It is by his deeds that a lad distinguishes himself if his conduct is pure and right. When was the last time you saw a lad, a young man, or a young person distinguish himself by having pure and right conduct? It's like a unicorn. You rarely see it in the wild, if ever. Because the way to create buzz is by being a rebel, not honoring and being respectful of those in authority. But David was that unicorn. He may have been an elite musician and soldier, but what really made David stand out was his submission to authority. That's why his behavior is so notable and his character is so incredible. Where did David learn to have a heart of submission? Where did David learn to see authority as a school in the hands of God? Certainly his parents may have instilled that in him, but I think we can safely say it was his love for the word that really taught it to him. As he meditated on the law, he saw how blessing and success and destiny works through covering, how God's order works through a chain of command. First, there is the authority of God himself. The very first commandment that was given to Moses, that was given to the nation in Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, says, you shall have no other gods before me, no one else. There is to be no higher authority in your life than God. He is to be the supreme one in your life in all matters. Of course, that's very countercultural because in our day and age, we're all about ourselves. We're all about our choices. We're all about, you don't tell me what to do. I tell you what to do. Later on, building on this first commandment, Moses amplified this in Deuteronomy 6. And he said to the nation, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. 
He was amplifying the first commandment, and it was this amplification from Deuteronomy chapter 6 that Jesus himself quoted as the greatest commandment. When he was asked by the religious leaders, what's the greatest commandment? He quoted from this very passage in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Our greatest joy and obligation in life is to be submitted to God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. That's why apathy and passivity and sort of this blasé attitude is an antithesis to Christianity. Christianity is meant to be a passionate, on fire, let's go get it, faith. So when we see the church in this apathetic place, it is the opposite of the calling on the people of God because of this very verse. So God is our first authority. Second is that there is the authority of our parents. That's right. In the fifth commandment, God wrote it down for the people of Israel. Honor your father and mother that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. Now the Apostle Paul made an important point about this, highlighting for us that this is the first commandment of the ten that contains a promise, meaning that we secure blessing and long life and goodness for ourselves when we obey our parents who come from God. Then there's the third part of authority, and that's the authority of government. Again, in Exodus 22, as God is giving the constitution to the people, he says in Exodus chapter 22, you shall not curse God, nor shall you curse a ruler of your people. Now in Acts chapter 23, as Paul is making his way through the court system, he's going to ultimately end up in Rome before the emperor. But he's making his way through the court system. And they're talking to him about his misbehavior and how he's not handling the law correctly. He appears before the Sanhedrin, before Felix and Festus and King Agrippa. But in this scene in which he talks to the high priest, Annas, Annas was so upset with him that he had him struck. So Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Paul was really upset that he got hit in the face. And one of the attendants in the court said, are you insulting God's high priest? And Saul said, I was not aware. In other words, he inadvertently castigated the high priest. And Paul said, I didn't realize that he is the high priest because it's written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people, quoting this very verse that God gave in Exodus 22. So these three authorities represented God's order in the spiritual realm, the family realm, and the civic realm. And having studied them in the Torah, David's respect for them became deeply embedded in his mind. In addition, because Israel was a theocracy, if you've not heard of the word theocracy, it's in contrast to democracy. Democracy is power ruled through the people. A theocracy is where God exercises government through the spirit. Israel was a theocracy, and so the king represented the spiritual and political arenas together. Hence David's language when he said that Saul was anointed by God because the ruler was God's set figure in the religious and civic spheres. 
So David has taken this all in. He's a young man. He set his heart to obey, respect, and honor all authority. But that understanding was sorely tested by Saul. You mean, God, I'm supposed to submit to this craziness? The king that is trying to take my life? How can this be you? How can, be, how can this be your plan for me? What are you trying to teach me? What am I supposed to get out of this? What are you after? The answer is this. I'm after your worship. This is a test to see where your worship is. Can you worship me even if it means your life? Beloved, this is the kind of faith that David lived. And this is the kind of faith that changes the world. This is the kind of faith that sets the world ablaze. Those who are given to God, so in love and so on fire, so passionate, that if God wants to take our life, He can do that. Jesus did it. The martyrs throughout history did it. The humble believers in Hebrews chapter 11 did it. If you haven't read that passage recently, let me refresh your memory. The Bible says that they were sawn in two. Literally sawn in two. They were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins, goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy. Now, what kind of attractive Christianity is that? Why would I want to come to Jesus if this is the prospect that's in front of me? And yet these people were inspired. They were aflame with the love of God, so much so they were willing to give their lives. Wandering in the deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. Wow, that sounds like a great life. They experienced mockings and scourging. Yes, also chains and imprisonment. Beloved, this is the quality. This is the, this is the gospel that we're talking about. This is the message of the Bible. This is our call on you and me. I don't care how dark or how cold or how hostile our situation is. We have a high call upon our lives and it's an exciting one. Revelations chapter 12 verse 11 says that there is a company of believers that did not love their lives even to death. In Acts 1.8, that famous verse where Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall receive power and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the remotest parts of the earth. That word witness in the Greek is martyr. Oh, excuse me? I think we should maybe retranslate that. I just want to be a follower. I just want to get online and watch Pastor Rich on YouTube in the comfort of my living room. I don't want to be a martyr. But that's what the presence of the Holy Spirit is for, is to give us such courage and such inspiration that we'll be willing to give our lives for Jesus. So another way to say it is that witnesses or martyrs are worshipers. You should be my worshipers in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth because you are willing to die for me. This was the kind of heart that David had towards God. He was under a terrible king. Saul was the worst boss that you could ever have. Instead of grooming David for succession, showing him the ropes, teaching him about leadership, and telling him about the burden of leading an entire country, he was David's worst nightmare. 
And yet, David understood the power of submission. Saul was David's appointed authority, and he was going to submit, even if it meant suffering. It's not that David didn't want to go away or get out from under the situation, but he would not take it upon himself to change it. Rather, he would let God release him from Saul. He did not want the people to say that David came to power by his own design or his own schemes. He, David wanted to know in his heart, the joy of knowing in his own heart, that he was king because God appointed him, not because he made a grab for power. David was a unicorn in his purity, his integrity, and his submission. And he was only in his teens and 20s as he was going through this, being prepared for the highest office in the land. David's understanding of submission shows no matter how difficult things may be, when we are in the will of God, there is no better place. And despite all the external difficulties and all the external dangers, there is no safer place than to be in the will of God. Even if that means that I might lose my life, if I lose my life, at least I lose it to the glory of God. I don't lose it because of vanity or foolishness. But in this case, David didn't have to give up his life. And one of the greatest outcomes of his obedience and perseverance is that he proved who God was. Normally, it's older people, the ones who have walked with God for many years and for decades, that have great pearls of wisdom to share about who God is. But because David understood submission, he was able to pen incredible insights into the character and faithfulness of God under the most extreme situations. He proved over and over again the goodness of who God was. When Saul went to Michael's house to kill David, David was so excited to have his first wife, and then it was taken away from him. And so then Saul gives him second choice. And so as Saul is trying to kill him, he runs to his wife's house, and he's in this place where the house is surrounded and the troops are going to kill him. And in the middle of that, in Psalm 59, David writes, God is my stronghold. My God is his loving kindness will meet me. God will let me look triumphantly upon my foes. And that's what happened. He escaped. He looked triumphantly upon his foes. When David was saved through acting like an insane man in front of Achish, king of Gath, he wrote in Psalm 34, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. So we can read the text and we go, oh my gosh, David's so creative. He's acting like a madman. He's drooling and he's clawing on the gates of the city. But the David's interpretation, his understanding was, the angel of the Lord is with me and he's rescuing me. I didn't know that there was an acting angel, but obviously there was. When David fled to the cave of Adullam, David wrote in Psalm 142, Bring my soul out of prison. Oh God, I, what am I doing in this dark, dank, probably bat-filled cave? Get me out of this prison. He says, so that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous surround me, but you will deal bountifully with me. And that's what God did. Took him out of the cave and served David great bounty. 
When the prophet Gad told him to escape to the Judean wilderness, David wrote in Psalm 63, verse 8, My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. You know, when we get into trouble, do we cling to God? Many times we want to throw God off. Where are you? How come you've abandoned me? Oh, ye of little faith, where is your faith? Rise up and be like young David and say, My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. When the Ziphites ratted out David's whereabouts, right? David is running around the countryside trying to escape. And then you've got these moles that tell King Saul where he is. And so the Ziphites ratted David out. And yet David writes in Psalm 54, Behold, God is my helper. God, you're my helper? I mean, I just have these spies that have narked on me. And yet God is my helper. The Lord is the sustainer of my soul. He will recompense the evil to my foes. And then when David ended up in the same cave as King Saul when he was relieving himself, again, I love how David interprets what's going on. Psalm 57, he says, In the shadow of thy wings I will take refuge until destruction passes by. God, I can't. I'm right here in the cave with Saul. He can call in the troops and all four of us, all 400 of us are in the back of the cave. We're going to be ambushed and we're going to be slaughtered. I'm literally sitting next to destruction. But he says, my heart is steadfast, O oh God. My heart is steadfast. Over and over again, God proved who God was. I mean, David proved who God was. Because David continued to stay under authority and to stay under submission, even though it offended his senses and his own thinking. David understood God in many ways that many saints before him did not. He was a savant in his insight into God because he did not resist God's dealing through his authorities. As a result of his writings, as in Psalms, he has comforted millions upon millions that have read his diaries, all written down before he was 30 years old. Can you imagine? You look back and you go, you know what, those 15 years, they were hell, but it's worth it. I've written a bestseller that is comforting people through the ages, through the generations, and literally millions of people are taking courage in the Lord because of these little scribblings in my diary. Well, David, they weren't just little scribblings. They were inspired by God. They became part of the word of God. By the time David became king, he had wisdom beyond his years. And he would rule into his reign based on God's character and not political gamesmanship. Can you imagine the equipping that God gave to him? It was based on understanding who God was as opposed to this is how you maneuver. This is how you build a coalition. This is how you get people to do what you want to do. No, it wasn't about gamesmanship. It was about the glory of God. David experienced great success and impacted millions because he understood the power of submission and was thoroughly schooled in it. God was on the throne of his heart before God put him on the throne of Israel. And that's a lesson that you won't read about in Forbes 30 under 30. So I'm going to have the worship team come on up.
want to have a time of prayer for us. <clears throat> and I want to say that this is not just a young person's message. Just because I framed it as a 30 under 30 message and because David was 30, it's not just a young person's message. It's an every generation message. Our attitude's authority is absolutely essential in life. It can be a life or death issue. It can be a blessing and futility issue. It can be the difference between wisdom and foolishness, the difference between danger and protection. Unfortunately, we've just seen in the news over and over again over the last few years how people are responding to authorities. Teachers, professors, policemen, political figures. It's so hostile out there. People are on top of each other. People are screaming at one another. Now, this is not to say that all people in authority just get a blanket permission to do what they want. That's not what I'm saying. But if our attitude is to flip the script and turn the exception into the general, where our default is to rebel against authority, we are on the wrong path, and we are on a path to destruction. So we need to take great encouragement and great example from David. You talk about being abused. You talk about workplace harassment. On and on. He had every right. But he saw God in the midst of that. So this morning, I, I want you to just ask yourself, what's your attitude been towards authority? It could be your boss. It could be your constant haranguing about someone at work. Maybe it's politicians who are easy targets. I have so many friends in the United States that are so against the current administration. They have such a hard time praying for Biden. You know what I do? I throw the Bible at them. Biden is installed by God. And I pray for Biden and I pray for President Trudeau because the Bible commands me to and I honor them and I respect them. That's the gospel. <coughs> Maybe this morning you need to repent towards the way you've acted with people of authority in your life. Maybe an action item for you is to literally write a note, write an email, call up someone and say, I'm sorry, I've done this wrong. Heavenly Father, we come before you right now. We thank you how your word comes to challenge us and how it comes to scour our soul. We need that, Lord. We need that cleansing. But it's such a good cleansing. And it feels so good. And it feels so right. And David lived through this. He wasn't just writing about it in the abstract. He was living through this in real time. And the treasure that he left for us in the book of Psalms is so powerful. And so, Lord... Turn us, 
cause us to be a Davidic company, cause us to be a Davidic army, cause us to embrace and to understand submission the way David did. Because ultimately, God, you want all of us to be kings. You want all of us to reign in life. And there's a reigning through the knowledge of God that comes to us because your hand, your spirit abides as it was upon David. So Lord, do your work in us. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things that David understood was authority. It wasn't just the authority that was put upon him, but ultimately who he gave authority in his life. David understood that God was his ultimate authority. And because of that, he was able to submit to all other authorities. Because he knew that the one ruler in his life, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, for him was God Almighty. And because of that, his posture became one where if I trust God, then I could trust that every situation he puts me into, and no matter what leadership I'm under, no matter what king I'm under, that God will watch over me. That's the posture that David had. That's the wisdom that David had. David was able to accomplish all these things because at a young age, he already knew who his ultimate authority was. David knew that when I'm under the authority of God Almighty, then nothing can come against him. So the posture that we're talking about here, the, 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 the ability for David to accomplish all that he was able to accomplish, the wisdom that he had, the, the favor that he had, the blessings that he had, was all because he understood that if God is my authority, then I could bear under Saul's authority. I could bear under all the other things that he had to go through in order to get to where he was as king. Sometimes we look at our lives and we feel like, well, our lives isn't going anywhere or it's not going quick enough. But the reality is, is it not going quick enough because I'm trying to figure out that for myself or is it because God is, God is teaching me something in the place that I am right now? So the message that Rich gave us is not just a message of, well, David was this, this great king and he accomplished so much at such a young age it's not just about that what rich paints us is a picture of just who david was and the heart that he had for god and because he had this heart for god he was able to accomplish all these things it's the character of david that rich painted us So like Rich said, it doesn't matter whether you're, this is not a message for young people, it's not a message, for, this is a message for all people. What's your character like? And what, what, who, has you, who have you put in your, your own life as your ultimate authority? Is it God or is it yourself? Or is it the people that, that is around you? Who is the authority over your life? Let me pray. Father God, we just come to you. And we, we, just ask yourself, we just ask for you to continue to reveal yourself to us. 
Allow us to see your character. Allow us to see your goodness and your kindness. Allow us to see these things so that we know that ultimately the authority that we put on our lives is you, Father God. We take on this challenge and we check our hearts. We check our hearts, we check our pride, we check our insecurities. All of these things are the things that hinder us from getting to know you and allowing you to be king in our lives. So Father God, we check all those things and we lay them at your feet and we take on who you are for us. So Lord, we love you, we worship you, and we give all praise to you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll see you guys next week for our all-church Zoom meeting. Please remember to sign on. If you forget the YouTube, on the YouTube channel, we'll have a link to the Zoom as well. Uh, please uh, get ready for church. Get ready for great community time. Get ready um, for trivia as well. We'll see you guys next week.